Yeah, it's sports talk from the three bros. Something you can bet on like Pete Rose. And you better not miss it like some free throws. Giving taste is more accurate than Drew Brees throws. And it might get explosive like some C4. We just giving you a look inside the peephole. So if you got a weak take, you better keep those. Or get your cheeks swole when you step into the ring with the Amiibros. up it's your boy 85 from the amibros podcast uh coming to you live from the basement from the man cave to give you the picks to make the bricks to give you the stats to get the stacks so you can stack it up stack it up stack it up let's get it um first off this is one of the best weekends in sports for the year divisional playoff round the top eight teams in the NFL, minus the Saints, who blew the game versus the Vikings, which we'll get into a little bit later. Uh, and then on Monday night, we got the Clemson Tigers versus the LSU Tigers. The battle of the two Death Valleys. There's only one. That one's in Clemson, South Carolina. It was the first. But hey, I will digress. We will get into that in a little bit. Uh, but let, let's talk a little bit about this national championship game before we get into the divisional playoff rounds. So look. Everybody's telling me right now, LSU should be favored. Oh, yeah, you know, the LSU is going to beat Clemson and blah, 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 blah. And it happens every year. I'm not sure if you guys, I'm going to recline in this chair a little bit because I think right now I feel really relaxed about my bet. Let me tell you why. First and foremost, if I told you before the season, Clemson, the team who was the prohibitive favorite to win the national championship, comes into the, the national championship game healthy, undefeated, and winning games by an average of over 35 points per game, have the number one ranked defense and the number three ranked offense in the entire country, and you were getting five and a half points. How would you feel about it? Let's, let's be 100% honest. LSU is being valued based on how they performed versus Georgia and how they performed versus Oklahoma. Two below average top tier teams. Uh, and, and I can tell you how you know that is Caesars told us before the SEC championship game, if Clemson played LSU on a neutral field, Clemson would be favored by three and a half points. Now, you know, fast forward, they're a five and a half point underdog based on what? Clemson played the same Virginia team who uh, gave Florida a scare in the bowl game, lost by eight to the top 10 team in Florida, and they beat them 62 to 17. They played Ohio State, who's the only other team in the country outside of Clemson and maybe LSU, who you could say are complete on defense on both sides of the ball, complete offense and defense. Alabama's defense was terrible this year. I told you guys, once Dylan Moses got hurt earlier in the year, they were going to struggle to stop people. Both their losses, they gave up 48 points, although Auburn game, two defensive touchdowns. But still, uh, the, the LSU has not played a team that is complete all season. And by that, I mean they haven't played a team that has a very good offense and a very good defense. Now, let's look at the game and, and just try to strip down what I believe is going to happen in the game. If you look at LSU, one of the things they've done extremely well this year is obviously Joe Burrow is passing at an elite, uh, an elite level, elite rate. I think he's completing around 75% of his passes. Um, if you look at the comparison of Joe Burrow and statistically passing-wise, every other quarterback in the history of college football, Joe Burrow is winning that, that matchup right now. Now, do I think that's because Joe Burrow is that good of a quarterback? No. 
I think that's a part of that. I think a part of it is Joe Brady coming in from the Saints has given him the ability to have easy reads, to make quick decisions, to know what type of defense the other team is facing by going with a lot of empty formations, going with a lot of four wides uh, with a tight end on the field, or they'll go with four wides and have uh, Elvis Alaire who can flex out or can catch the ball out of the backfield, or as you saw in the Alabama game into the first half, him running a wheel route. Um, I think what they've been able to do is to expose bad defenses. Uh, if you look, they played one defense this year that I thought was elite from not only a ranking standpoint, but from a player and a personnel standpoint. That was Auburn. And Auburn held them to 23 points. And now everybody's going to tell me, well, Georgia's a top 10 defense in the country. But here's the difference. Georgia's a top 10 defense in the country because Kirby Smart is one of the best defensive minds in the country. They play sound, gap sound football. But they don't have a guy on that defense that right now, if the draft was available for everyone, because they, you know, they have some underclassmen, that would go first round. Um, they have Trayvon Walker, who I, I'm a big fan of. I, he's a freshman. I think he will be a stud in the future. Um, J.R. Reed was a, a uh, you know, first-team All-American at, at the safety spot, but uh, he's not you know top two or three safety in the country. Um, so I think when you look at it, um, that, that defense got shredded. Georgia's did partially because they don't have the horses to go versus an LSU or the corners to match up versus their receivers, but secondly, because of the fact that their offense put no pressure on LSU. If you look at that game, first play of the game, Jake Fromm takes a deep shot, one of his rare great passes of the season. Uh, I've been telling you guys for years, Jake Fromm is not the guy. He declared for the draft this week. We could talk about that. I wouldn't take him in the first three rounds. I think he's missed Trubisky without the legs. Uh, but throws a great pass in that game, drop. Then later in the game, multiple open receivers, either drop passes or just missed throws by Jake Fromm. They had a lot of opportunities to get into the game, to put pressure on LSU, to force them to play offense with pressure on them. And that hadn't happened since the LA, the, the Alabama game. Alabama, and, and let's rewind. Uh, I'm not going to spend too much time on this game, but if you rewind and think about the Alabama-LSU game, which was the premier, probably the best team that LSU has beaten this season. Um, Alabama... They were not healthy. Obviously, Dylan Moses, I mentioned, the star linebacker who uh, reportedly was going to come back to school, but now is contemplating leaving because uh, he's a first-round linebacker if he's healthy. Um, besides that, Tua was coming back off of an injury. They played the Ole Miss game the previous week. Tua had missed that game. Tua had, had a bye week. Actually, so it was a bye week. Ole Miss uh, was before that, and then they played LSU. Tua had surgery in between hand on his ankle, um, and he wasn't healthy. He wasn't 100%. And you can see that on the first drive of the game, Alabama, boom, 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 was driving downfield. And then Tua um, running a touchdown, which nobody was going to tackle him, and he just drops the ball. Like, nobody touches him. One of the, the most, you know, baffable, ba baffling, um, <laughs> not baffable, I don't think that's actually a word. Um, affable is a word, but whatever. Um, he, he drops the ball, doesn't score a touchdown. They get a fumble on that one, and, and all of a sudden the momentum goes to LSU. But if you looked at that game, even though they were down 21 points, Tua continued to play, continued to put up numbers, continued to, to torch that, that secondary, which is supposed to be elite, but I think they, they are a lot of ball hawks. I think Derek Stingley is extremely good at the cornerback position, one of the best freshman corners I've ever seen. He takes chances. You saw at the end of the game, they went cover zero, left Derek Stingley on an island with uh, Devontae Smith, and Devontae burned him uh, for a touchdown for 80 yards with about a minute and change to go, which was one of the dumbest plays I've ever seen called on defense anyway. Because when you play that type of game where you're up 11, nothing beats you deep. You back your safeties up. You give some separation uh, between the receivers and let them try to beat you underneath with that little bit of time left. But with that being said, 
I think when you look at the matchup and you see what does Joe Burrow do really well, he's very accurate, but he takes chances. He takes risks. You looked at the Alabama, I mean, the Oklahoma game, running out of bounds, throws a kind of hell Mary jump ball where the guy catches it, did the same thing versus Georgia. Um, he takes some risks, especially when he's getting out of bounds. And the thing is, he hasn't faced a defense that has the secondary that Clemson has. A.J. Terrell is a potential first-round pick this year. You had Darian Kendrick, who's potentially a first-round pick next year. He is a five-star receiver when he came out. He switched over to cornerback. Um, he's extremely athletic. He's solid 6'1". Uh, great ball skills as why he was a five-star receiver when he came out of high school after playing quarterback in high school and then going to the camps and torching people at receiver. Um, so he is a, a ball hawk. And then we got a secondary full of, uh, you know, senior veteran latent uh, starters. You had Kayvon Wallace, who started for the, the vast majority of the last two and a half years. Tanner Muse, the same way. Uh, Muse is not as fast as some safeties in the country. But he, he takes his he, he takes the right angles and he's not he's not slow. I think a lot of guys look at Tanner and they think oh he doesn't have you know blazing speed which he doesn't. He's not you know a Jason Seahorn or you know going back in, back in the day. But um, if you looked at that touchdown run that would have been a touchdown run with J.K. Dobbins, it was Tanner Muse who ran down J.K. Dobbins to prevent a touchdown, and then the Titans and the, the Tigers are able to uh, hold up for a stop. So um, I expect. Brent Venables to bring a lot of blitzes. I expect him to use versatile looks with Isaiah Simmons, who is the most athletic linebacker in the country, um, to confuse him. I mean, if you look at, everyone thinks this game is going to be this high-scoring, you know, Joe Burrow can't be stopped. But here's the thing I can tell you. You look at the last six quarters of second-half football, college football playoffs for Clemson, which is the, the second half last year versus uh, Alabama, the second half last year versus Notre Dame, and the second half of the first playoffs with Ohio State. Clemson has given up seven points and has nine sacks. Seven points combined in those three second halves. And the reason is Brent Venables makes as many adjustments as you possibly can see. You looked at that game versus Ohio State, they started the game with a four-man rush. Afterwards, they realized, hey, we have four down linemen. They're using a lot of angles. They're getting uh, J.K. Dobbins on the outside. Let's go with a three-man rush, leave, leave four linebackers in there, give us a little bit more speed on the outside. J.K. Dobbins couldn't break anymore. Um, so I think after uh, watching Joe Burrow play, and it's, some of that's going to be on the field watching some of the adjustments that Joe Brady and uh, you know the offensive coordinator, Steve, I can't think of his name, Echelmeyer or whatever his name is, um, once he... He figures out they, they, he figures out what the adjustments that LSU is going to try to attack uh, Clemson's defense with. He will make the adjustments. I got Clemson winning this game pretty convincingly. I'm going to say by a solid ten points. I'm going to go with a score maybe I'll maybe go eleven points, thirty five to twenty four. And everybody thinks about oh, twenty four points for Clemson, but Clemson hasn't given up over twenty three points all season, including Ohio State, who coming into the game was the number one scoring offense in the country above LSU. I got Clemson winning 35-24, to 24, Trevor Lawrence having a big day. I expect them to give a lot of touches to T. Higgins and Justin Ross. And I expect Travis Etienne to have a huge game. He is going back to Louisiana. The last time he went to Louisiana was the Sugar Bowl where he lost. Uh, Clemson lost to Alabama, which was their last loss, which was over two years ago in the uh, college football semis. Um, and if you remember that game, he got banged up early in that game. And then T. Higgins lost, uh, got hurt in that game and left and didn't come back in. And Dabo Swinney being the, uh, the uh, you know, big thinker that he was when, you know, obviously Travis Etienne the next day, super disappointed about, um, you know, that game, going back to his home state of Louisiana and, and not playing the way he expected his freshman year. Dabo told him, he said, you know, the national championship game is here in two years. 
and now they're there. So I expect Travis to have a big game. I expect them to be able to control the clock, keep the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands. But also, I think they're going to be able to keep Joe Burrow off the field with just blitzes and forcing him into a couple turnovers. I think he's going to have at least two interceptions this game. I'm taking Clemson 35-24. to 24. Let's get into the divisional playoff rounds, the games that I expect to be the best um, look, guys, I think this is a weekend where you can make a lot of money on underdogs. Everybody is going really, really big with these lines. And some of these I just don't get. I don't understand at all. Obviously, I told you, bet Clemson, take the points, but I bet a money line. I think they're going to win straight up. But same way, Texans are playing the Chiefs. And I'm hearing from all these people all of this information that I think is laughable. Oh, you know, Chiefs defense now is so much vastly improved. Look at them over the last month and a half of the season. Look at them since their bye week. Everything's just fallen into place. They've gotten so healthy. But you know what I've noticed? Since that bye week, you want to know the quarterbacks they faced? Phillip Rivers twice. Anybody watch Phillip Rivers this year? He was a turnover machine. Oh, who else? Faced Derek Carr without Hunter Renfro and without Jonathan J uh, Josh Jacobs. How great did they look? Derek Carr looked awful at the end of the season when Hunter Ruffer was down. Oh, then he faced Drew Locke in his third start of his career. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Okay. And then you faced you know, the inconquerable Mitchell Trubisky, Chicago Bears. They haven't faced a quarterback that actually ranked in the top 10 or 15 in offenses. They didn't face the top 15 offense since the Tennessee Titans game. What happened that game? They lost and gave up 35 points. Okay, so so the defense that everybody is 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 hailing as oh this you know they're they're world beaters now they're they're top ten in every statistical category. Well, maybe that has to do with the fact that they played one of the worst schedules for a first place team in the league. Um, and then you throw in, uh, you know, they during that stretch as well. I'm sorry, I, I forgot one. They played also Tom Brady. How 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 great did the uh, Patriots offense look last week versus the Titans? Fourteen points. How did it look the week before versus the Dolphins? How do they look versus everybody that actually had a pulse? Not very good. So I don't believe in that defense. And you throw in what no one's really talking about is the fact that Patrick Mahomes has not played good football over the past six games. Um, if you look at his last six games, he's got four games where he has a quarterback rating of under 85. He's thrown multiple picks in a lot of those games. Even if you look at the game where it looked like his numbers were good this week versus the Chargers, which was their last game. He threw an interception in that game, and he threw another pick six that was overturned by uh, a defensive holding, or it was a, a, a it didn't have a ton to do with the play where he threw a pick six. I don't expect Patrick Mahomes to play terribly. He's getting healthy, but he hasn't played great recently. And I expect the Texans secondary to be able to cover receivers at least for long enough to be able to keep them in the game. Also, what I'm expecting. Um, one of the things that we did not do enough of last week uh, when we played the Buffalo Bills, and by we, I mean the Houston Texans. I am a Texans fan. Um, one of the things I didn't think we did re really well was Romeo Cornell did not do a lot of blitzing. Um, and it seemed like whenever we blitzed, we were able to get pressure, we were able to get sacks, or we were able to force holding penalties, quick throws, and our secondary is quick and good enough to be able to hold up in blitzing situations. Now, you don't want to do that a ton with Tyreek Hill because he has a different level of speed, but I, I trust Bradley Roby to be able to play off coverage, to be able to take what, where, what is there, and he has faced Tyreek Hill for many, many, many times. He was a cornerback for the Denver Broncos. They were in the division with him for years. And he's a 4-3, 40 speed guy as well. Now, Tyree Hill is somewhere in that 4-1, 40 range. 
but he's at least fast enough to where he should be able to cover for the limited time before they blitz. So I think the Texans should use a lot of blitzes, uh, those combinations to get to him. I think J.J. Watt coming off of the first week where he uh, was just working off some rust and still was able to get a sack and a few pressures. I think he's even more active this week. I expect them to be able to get some pressure on Patrick Mahomes. And I expect Deshaun Watson, who's gotten the monkey off his back off of the first playoff win of his career, uh, and the first legitimate playoff win for the Texans in the history of Bill O'Brien because their only other playoff win was versus the Oakland Raiders when Derek Carr got hurt and his MVP type of season uh, where Connor Cook was the starting quarterback. So look, I think if you're going to look at it realistically, I think you have to put your money on the Texans plus 10 points, but I would take the money line. I think the money line is going to be uh, paying off because I think the Texans are going to win this game 35-28. to 28. I expect Deshaun to play extremely well. I expect them to do what they did earlier in the season where they were able to run the ball, control the clock, Duke Johnson, a lot of passes out of the backfield. And really, let me go back to that first matchup because I wanted to talk about that really, really quickly. Everybody just talks about, oh, you know, Mahomes had a, a sore ankle that game. He, he had a little bit of a sprain. And they were missing, uh, you know, their left tackle, Eric Fisher, and they were missing their guard and Schwartz, and they were missing uh, Chris Jones in the game. And, you know, it's just and, – and, oh, and, you know, Patrick Mahomes threw an interception that he thought was a pass interference, and then he just took a chance. You know what nobody really brings up because everybody expects the Texans to lose? Nobody brings up the fact that the Texans dropped four touchdown passes that game. Will Fuller dropped three of them that were point-blank drops, and uh, DeAndre Hopkins dro dropped a point-blank slant. We scored touchdowns on three of those four drives. I'm oh, sorry, we, we scored touchdowns on one of those four drives. Three of those four drives, we either punted or Deshaun threw an interception uh, later in that drive. So if you looked at it, those were 21 points we could have put up on the board. Throw in the fact that we had the ball at the end of the game, we, we kneeled the clock out. Throw in the fact that one of the touchdowns that the, the Chiefs got was off of a clear, clear offensive pass interference call where it was a screen pass on third and long where Travis Kelsey tackled the guy who was guarding the, the running back before the ball was thrown, and he got a wide open 75 yards downfield. You throw in another touchdown was first play of the game for offense for Houston. Carlos High fumbled the ball, gave him the ball inside the red zone. Throw in the fact that another touchdown was a, a stop. It was a third and 10. The Texans got a stop. Uh, but you know what happened? It was third, since it was third and 10, they got a holding penalty. They were on the 33-yard line. Bill O'Brien accepted the holding penalty to try to take them out of field goal range. And J.J. Watt jumps off sides. Patrick, Patrick Mahomes has a free play and just throws a random jump ball to Tyreek Hill who mosses two, two DBs to, to score a touchdown. In reality, in a playoff game now, I don't think Bill O'Brien is – putting Mahomes back on the field, or if that's the case, I don't expect them to convert a, a third and 20. I don't expect J.J. Watt to jump off sides and give them a free play, so he takes that risk. So that game could have been much worse than seven-point win it was for the Texans. I'm taking the Texans, as I mentioned beforehand, 35-28. to 28. Next game, I'm pulling another upset. AFC playoffs, I got the Tennessee Titans beating the Baltimore Ravens. Why do I think that's going to happen? A couple reasons. One, I think when you look at the Titans, they play the style of football that can give the Ravens problems. They have a great offensive line. They have two tackles and Jack Conklin, as well as uh, my kid from Michigan, whose name is Taylor Lewan, who, uh, who have been all pro tackles in their careers. Um, not this year because uh, Lewan was suspended at the beginning of the year. Conklin missed a few games. But they also have a defensive tackle who's playing running back. His name is Derrick Henry. Um, Shannon Sharp on, and, and Eric Dickerson were talking on Undisputed about seeing him in person, and they said that the numbers are not correct, that they believe he is at least 6'4 and a half, 6'5, and at least 260 pounds. 
Running downhill, controlling the game is the way you beat Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is best defended when he's on the sidelines, not making spectacular plays because the defense has to continue to, to, to grind out third downs that are third and twos and Derrick Henry's running downhill. Um, Derrick Henry this year has over 1,000 yards rushing in the second half of games alone. Um, so I expect them to be able to control the clock. And one of the things I expect to happen is the, the major weakness, and I wouldn't say weakness, but the, the major kind of, uh, I, I, I wouldn't say major weakness, but a, a big weakness on their team, if you're looking at, at nitpicking, would be their linebacker position. They do not have great linebackers on the Ravens. They have great secondary. They have uh, three really good cornerbacks in Marlon Humphreys um, and Jimmy, Jimmy Smith, as well as uh, Marcus Peters. They have a great safety, obviously, in Earl Thomas. Um, but one of the main things they don't do well is guard tight ends. And... If you look at Jonu Smith, he's an extremely fast, extremely athletic tight end. Ferkser also is a pretty good tight end for the Titans. I expect them to be able to run the ball and off of play action, have Tannehill throw the ball to the tight end. If you look this season, who was the number one passer rating in the NFL off play action? It was Ryan Tannehill. And you're throwing in a couple other factors that I believe will play a big major role in this game. Lamar Jackson is playing in his second playoff game. Last year, he played terrible in his playoff game. And one of the things I think is helping Deshaun this week is Deshaun got the monkey off his back of, man, I played terrible in last year's playoffs. And I need to be able to, to get this playoff win to go ahead and get some momentum going. Lamar hasn't played in three weeks, well, 20 days because of the fact of it's a Saturday night game as opposed to Sunday. So he hasn't played realistically three weeks. And he's coming off of his, the worst game of his career was last year in the playoffs. And... I don't think that's going to be an easy transition, especially when you consider their offense is one that's predicated a lot on timing, a lot on them being able to hand the ball, mesh points, things of that nature. And they haven't had a lot of playing time with Mark Ingram over the practice, uh, the, the, the last two weeks of practice. Mark Ingram has been limited. He played his first practice yesterday, which was uh, Thursday. Uh, he was limited there. He might not even play in the game. And if you have Gus Edwards, I think Gus Edwards is good, but I don't think he brings the same explosiveness of a Mark Ingram. And I don't expect the passing game to be as crisp with them being off three weeks. I think it helps with the fact that Lamar Jackson is able to rest his ankle. Uh, but right now, I got, the, I got the line at nine and a half points. I would take the Titans minus nine and a half. I'm not betting them against the spread, but I am picking the upset. I am going with a low-scoring 24 to 21 game. I expect the Titans to be able to run the ball. They have very good linebackers in space with uh, Rashad Evans, who came from Alabama. They have a, a, a man in the middle with Jarrell Casey, who's going to be able to help them to, to push that pocket, to funnel him to the outsides. Um, and they have pretty good cornerbacks. I mean, I think Logan Ryan obviously is not an excellent cornerback, but he's a pretty good cornerback. And I don't expect them to be able to, you know, they, they're one of the worst teams in the NFL at targeting receivers. Um, they, they Most of their passes are thrown to tight ends, and I expect those, um, the safeties of the Titans who are extremely good. You look at uh, Byard might be one of the best safeties in the game. And on the other side, Kenny Vaccaro is one of the most versatile, hard-hitting hard safeties. I think they'll be able to take away some of the tight ends. And I expect this game to be a low-scoring 24-21 Tennessee Titans, which would set up a Houston Texans home game in the AFC Championship game if all works the way I expect. Now, let's move over to the NFC. As I mentioned beforehand, the Minnesota Vikings were able to beat the, the New Orleans Saints um, off of a game that I think was very, very uncharacteristic. Uh, it was a game where Drew Brees played terribly, made some uncharacteristically terrible decisions. Um, I, I mentioned in the podcast, I think the reason he did it, uh, he threw a terrible interception right before the half. The reason I think he did, I think is because of the fact of Taysom Hill just throwing one of the best deep balls of the game to give him a touchdown. And I think he got a little bit of je uh, jealousy going on saying, I can still throw the deep ball. 
and he took a shot in double coverage to Tegan Jr. If it was thrown to Michael Thomas, I may have even understood it somewhat, but that was the, the turning point in the game because Vikings end up getting a touchdown before the half. They go into the half 13-10 after the kicker for the Saints misses a field goal. First out of his you know, previous 19 straight make, makes, so first out of his last 20 kicks. And I thought that changed the momentum of the game. Uh, and now this week we have the Vikings going versus the San Francisco 49ers. And I'm telling you, I would take the 49ers to win straight up. I would take the Vikings plus seven, seven and a half points that you're seeing on some of these, these spreads. Here's the major reason why I think this game is going to be close. I think the Vikings are not as good as the 49ers as a unit because I, I'm including play calling and play design, etc. I think they're just as talented. And the major thing I see is there's a huge advantage in playoff experience. If you look at the 49ers, the 49ers quarterback has never play, played in a playoff game. You look at Kyle Shanahan, who's never been a head coach in a playoff game. His last playoff game he was coaching in at all was the Super Bowl, where they choked away a 28-3 lead versus the Patriots when he was the offensive coordinator for the Falcons. Um, if you look at their receivers, Emmanuel Sanders, obviously a Super Bowl champion. He's got experience, but outside of Emmanuel Sanders, you got a lot of guys who've never been in the playoffs. you got Debo Samuel, who's probably their, their second-best wide receiver, who's a rookie out of South Carolina. you got George Kittle, who's in his third year, never played in a playoff game. So you got a lot of guys with no experience. Defensively, the same way. You got some experience with a guy like Richard Sherman, who's a Super Bowl champion, who can, can bring a lot of experience there. But outside of him, you know, you look at that team, you got a lot of guys like a, a Nick Bosa on his rookie season, uh, Eric Armstead, you got a Solomon Thomas. You got a lot of guys who've never played in any playoff game in any environment like this, and there's a lot of pressure there. A lot of times from a defensive standpoint, there's a lot of pressure to make the splash play, and it can allow you to get out of position to not play sound, gap sound football. I think uh, because of that and because of the momentum of a Kirk Cousins, I think they'll be able to control the game, uh, run the ball with Dalvin Cook, but I expect down the, down the at the end of the game, the play calling of Kyle Shanahan and them being able to run the ball will will be the the – uh, reason why they win the game. I think obviously this game, I don't expect the Vikings to be able to move all of their edge rushers inside uh, because of the, the zone running schemes of the 49ers. I expect them to be able to uh, have Linval Joseph in the middle to try to contain as much of the running as possible. But I expect Garoppolo to get into a little bit of a rhythm later in the game. I expect early on it to be a heavy dose of running with Mostert as well as uh, my guy from Georgia Southern who's slipping my mind right now, Matt Breida. Uh, and I think they're going to be able to control the game I'm going to pick the 49ers to win 27-24 to in a three-point game. Lastly, lastly, NFC, um, I think this game is going to be one of the best of the weekend. I got the, the Packers versus the Seahawks. I am taking the Packers to win the game, but the Seahawks to cover the spread. Look, right now you can get the game at, I believe it's four points, three and a half or four points. Um, I think the Packers are not as good as their seed and their record would indicate. Um, if you look at their style of play, um, they really rely heavily on Aaron Jones to be able to be the cog on that offense. They score a lot of points early on in drives. They're the best scoring first half offense, first quarter offense in the NFL. Uh, but if you look at after the first quarters of their last eight games, Aaron Rodgers has four touchdowns over the last eight games after the first quarter. Now, even if you looked at early in the season when they were scoring a lot of points, they scored 21 points on the Vikings in the first quarter, scored zero points the rest of the game. A lot of that is because a rookie uh, offensive guy in Matt LaFleur, who's the head coach, he makes a lot of uh, great play calling and designing 
as the game starts when it's it's scripted out. But as the game uh, you know starts to go and they play versus teams that have veteran coordinators where they have to make adjustments, I don't think he does a phenomenal job making adjustments. And to be Frank, Aaron Rodgers has not thrown the ball as accurately as we're used to seeing. I mean, obviously, you look at his numbers, they're gaudy. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Uh, but there have been plenty of games where he's had chances to throw touchdown passes he's just missed. Um, I expect him to be able to capitalize on the fact that the Seahawks, outside of last week, have one of the wor worst pass rushes in the league. Uh, Jadavion Clowney is not the edge rusher that he once was but after those two knee surgeries. Um, and I expect him to be able to contain... Um, you know, Jadavion Clowney by maybe double teaming, chipping, etc., and him to have enough time to be able to throw the ball as well as run the ball. And then you look at the other side, what has given the Packers problems this year has been teams that can run the ball and control the game with their pass rush. They lost to the, to the Chargers. Chargers have three really good running backs and a pass rush with Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa. They lost to the Eagles. The Eagles have a really good pass rush with, with Graham and Fletcher Cox, etc., and they have the ability to run the ball with their offensive line. Um, at the time, it was Miles Sanders, and it was um, my guy who came over from the Bears, whose name is slipping my mind, and I'm sure will come to me as soon as the podcast ends. Um, and then you look at uh, at the other games they lost. They lost to the 49ers. 49ers have a really good pass rush and the ability to run the ball. Uh, Seahawks have neither. Seahawks can't run the ball extremely well. Last week, I think they had 19 carries for 17 yards, including a 12-yard run, uh, or maybe 17 carries for 19 yards, including a 12. Yeah, that's, that's the case. 17 carries, 19 yards. Including a 12-yard run, the other 16 carries, they had a total of seven yards. Um, I expect this game to be a close, uh, close game, lower scoring as well. Um, I'm going to say 20 to 17. Um, Russell Wilson hasn't played really well in Lambeau. It's going to be a, a very snowy game, and you look at it. Russell Wilson uh, is 0-4 in his career at Lambeau. I think this is a big moment for the the Packers organization. I think Zadarius Smith is able to get after Russell Wilson because three of their starting offensive linemen will likely be out for the game. I'm picking the Packers to win the game by three. Look, I appreciate you guys listening and checking out the podcast. Um, if you guys want to make bets, remember, do it at your own risk. But if you listen to the podcast, I am hitting on college football games, second half of the season at 82%. Um, if you're looking at it for the entire season on college, I've been hitting at 69%. On pros, I've been hitting at 62%. You know, we do the, uh, on the actual Me Bros podcast, we do uh, picks, $1,000 worth of picks um, on games every week for the NFL, five games. I am plus $2,100 for, for the season, for the regular season, I was plus $2,400. Lost 300 bucks last week because of uh, Texans having a push and Carson Wentz, you know, getting a concussion and leaving the game versus the Seahawks. But trust these picks. Also check out the podcast at iTunes, uh, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, Podbean, any place you can find your podcast, as well as you can check us out on social media platforms at Amibros underscore podcast. You can check us out at Twitter at Amibros podcast or at facebook.com forward slash the Amibros. And I'm out. Peace.